We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's good? Lucky Lefty Podcast. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Sean Davis in the building. Left will be here shortly. We have a special guest today. We're brought to you by Honora Whiskey, honorawhiskey.com. It is that premium American whiskey, honorawhiskey.com. And if you drink, by all means, make sure that you do so responsibly. We are exclusively at CFB Nation. Get your audible edibles each and every day over at CFB Nation on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hey, we are the home of the misguided passion. You know we keep it funky. You already know. We spin it different. Each and every day we start the show with the leftovers. (laughs) Leftovers from our Friday show is definitely the fajitas from Applebee's. The comments about the fajitas and Malik's rant about the presentation of the offense based upon the fajitas from Applebee's was spot on. Fantastic. Just in case you missed it, check it out. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe to YouTube. The like button. Smash that. Helps with the views. We also posted why Notre Dame's offense has to be explosive this season. In the three biggest games, they have to be explosive in the three biggest games. It's Lucky Lefty Podcast, man. We will continue to spin it different. As I said before, we're going to preview the linebackers today, right? And it's safe to say over the last few seasons that the linebacker play has been inconsistent inconsistent to say the least and with that being said it's going to be interesting when our special guest finally joins us because he is a former captain of the Notre Dame football team and he was a leader at that linebacker position and we're going to get not only his insights into the position and what needs to be done but we're also going to find out hey What's it like being captain and starting linebacker at the University of Notre Dame? Should be pretty interesting.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. These comments are funny. You know what was crazy, though? I want to say this before we get into it. Hopefully, Left will jump in soon. What's going on in Evanston, Illinois? As someone that... (laughs) Someone that worked... And we're going to have our special guest on coming up just in a few seconds. But what's happening in Evanston with that Northwestern football situation, and I'm sure you guys are going to ask us about it, it is unfortunate. As I said before, um, I had the privilege of working for WGN in Chicago for four years and covering the Wildcats every Saturday morning. Um, Don't be shocked about some of the stuff you hear. I'll just leave it at that. Do not be shocked by some of the things that you hear. According to all reports that I'm starting to get, it's worse. This is just the tip of the iceberg. So, man, man, we bring in our special guest. This guy right here, let me tell you something. One of your favorite players from back in the day, 
Big time linebacker, former captain, number 49 himself. Welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast. All the way. I think he's in Tennessee now, but he's all the way from that big state down Texas. We welcome to the Lucky Lefty Podcast, DC Curry. Derek What's Curry. going on? How we doing? How we doing? Yo, it is a pleasure to have you on. Same. I'm, I'm ready to talk to you about Notre Dame, what it meant to you, how you got there, this linebacking core, what needs to happen. Yeah. But first and foremost, how are you feeling, man? Feeling good, man. Feeling really good, man. I've been blessed, you know. Um, coming from where I come from, being where I'm at, man, it's like uh, it's like a dream, you know what I mean? Every day you get up and you get to do something you love to do with people you love to do it with. And, uh, yeah, we laid some foundation back in the day that got us to where we are. So, feeling great, man. I appreciate you asking. Man, so talk about that foundation and what led to you to your business and what you're doing today. Let Notre Dame fans know about yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, man. So, um, so I grew up in Houston, Texas is where I was born. Um, went to, uh, to middle school, high school out in Sealy, Texas, which is about 40 uh, minutes, 45 minutes outside of Houston, going towards San Antonio, out I-10, town of 5,000 people, you know, classic, small town, uh, big football uh, town. So we, you know, won state four years in a row, won team of the decade in Texas. We had all the, you know, all the stuff you can imagine, you know, varsity blues, um, kind of experience as far as high school is concerned, but I grew up um, in Houston, you know, where a lot of my cousins and family lived over in Third Ward and stuff, and so um, I got a little bit of country, a little bit of city in me, and then um, got recruited pretty early on out of out of Sealy, uh, primarily because I think how our team was doing, and then just the fact that I was excelling at a pretty early age in multiple sports, so um, played five sports growing up, football, basketball, baseball, track, and tennis. And so pretty well rounded. I was in the band, you know, I was kind of a, I did a lot of stuff, you know, they used to call me a Renaissance man. I didn't really know what it meant, but I was involved in a lot of stuff. I wanted to kind of spread my wings. And so started getting recruited, um, ended up going to Notre Dame full scholarship, football, baseball, and, um, didn't end up playing baseball, uh, fully just because by the time I was going into my sophomore year, they were like, Hey, you're going to end up starting pretty quick. You know, you probably got to pick, Bob Davey at the time wasn't really for this two sport thing outside of maybe running a couple of track meets or something. And so it just really wasn't going to work. So I went to coach Maneri and said, Hey, I think this is where I'm going to live on this side of the, on this side of the aisle. I mean, Notre Dame football, Notre Dame baseball at the time was, uh, you know, light years apart as far as exposure and potential for your future. So, um, picked football and, uh, and kind of took off from there. Um, I'll skip most of the football stuff because we'll probably come back to it. But after I left, um, I went, I was with the Dolphins and the Bengals um, for a little bit when I, in the league. And after I got done with that, I went to work at a church that I went to when I was in, uh, when I was in college. And so I was there for about five years, left there, went to the waste industry. So one of my mentors that I met at Notre Dame, so just kind of how Notre Dame works, right? So a girl that I met in the training room, she was getting some treatment. I was getting some treatment. The track team used to share some of the trainers. She was getting treatment on a pretty serious injury, so she was in the football facilities. Met her, became friends, come to find out we were in some of our classes together. Her dad was in the solid waste industry and said, hey, you got to meet my dad sometime. I was like, okay, no problem, you know. So I was at a track meet just supporting a lot of the folks who used to run. You know, the football boys used to chase some of them track girls, <clears throat> Preston Jackson. Um <laughs> And so we would go to these track meets, you know what I mean, to support. And so, uh, 
and so I ended up meeting her dad there and kind of realized, okay, there's kind of like a mentor-mentee relationship just because he was very open guy, very honest guy. Wasn't a Notre Dame grad, but had a kid at Notre Dame. And so he was very open and just kind of talking to me, kind of showing me the ropes, seeing kind of what life was like kind of outside of the circle I grew up in, you know. And so the way I describe him now is I kind of had this like rich dad, poor dad thing going on. I love my family, but there were certain things my dad could teach me. And there were certain things that he couldn't from the economic side of life. And so I was kind of learning that um, from her dad, just watching more than anything. It wasn't super formal, but it was just making a connection at Notre Dame at an event and keeping that connection going. Well, he was in the solid waste industry. And so I was like, man, I, I don't really understand what that's about. I don't really want to be a, he was a garbage man. I was like, I don't want to be a trash man. I don't play in the league. You know, when I'm young, this is what I was thinking. So I kind of brushed it off. So I got done playing and I was like, Ooh, I need to kind of figure out next steps and next career paths and stuff. And he was always saying the waste industry was recession proof, recession resistant. You know, uh, he, um, he started a vertically integrated company from the ground up. And so there was this model that he had built on how to basically operate within the waste space that I was able to watch from a distance and up close because I ended up getting close to this family. And so um, long story short, he ended up retiring and then he started putting this new company that we're running together. And um, two of his sons, one of their buddies from college and myself um, run this business now. And we, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going really well, but it all stemmed from like, a training room conversation in a locker room. So this is what people don't understand about the way Notre Dame works, right? Is these little bitty insignificant moments in your life while you're on campus there can change the trajectory of your future. I'm able to do things in life today that I never would have been able to do had I not said hi to someone that was, you know, relatively different than me. She grew up completely different than me, completely different environment, um, completely different circumstances. But Notre Dame has this melting pot effect if you're willing to branch out. Because while you're there, you're all the same. It doesn't really matter where you come from. Once you're on campus, hey, you're a student at the end of the day. And so being able to take advantage of that while at the same time being humble enough to learn from people that are different than you, man, if you're, if you're a college kid at Notre Dame that has that mentality, then that school can take you super far because people want to help you. That's one of the blessings, man. Like you said, you grew up and your rich dad, poor dad experience that you just pointed out. I know you always talked about your dad being like a huge role yeah. model you growing yeah. up, coming from Texas. And, you know, your path to Notre Dame, you described as pretty much being divine, almost like, man. Very, very much I, so. I got in and hey, I had to take the opportunity and lo and behold, here you are right now. And sitting at the epicenter of Notre Dame recruiting right now is, you know, that four for fourth and introducing what you just talked about to elite athletes, four stars, five stars, getting them to realize that you are a Notre Dame fit. You are a Notre Dame kid. Just talk about that, your experience as soon as you got to campus and recognizing, you know, I'm a kid from Texas, but you know what? I am a fit right here at this university. Yeah, I mean, there was a point, man, when I when I came in, so we were heavily recruiting Texas, Florida, California when I was coming in. So Bob Davey and Greg Madsen, those guys were heavy in the South because um, Lou was heavy in the South. Charlie Strong was heavy in the South. Those guys were really pushing that territory. And so I think we had 20 players, 20 to 22 players from Texas. We had like 16 from Florida. We had another 15 or so from California. The numbers may be a little bit mixed up, but it's somewhere in that range of how many players were coming out of the South. And there was a time where I remember in camp, we were all kind of like, man, this place is different. We all 
we all had this shared experience of like, mm, I'm having an experience that's different than anything I've ever been able to experience. Now, the way you say that in, in college as a freshman is I'm homesick or I miss home or mama's ain't cooking or we can't go to grandma's or whatever. So you do, you're saying all of these things from like an immature freshman standpoint, but what you're articulating is I'm having an experience that's completely different than anything I've ever experienced before. Every student experiences that in their own way, but particularly coming from where I came from, my mind was blown at how big Notre Dame was, how nice everything was, how honest people were. Positive and negative, just positive and negatives of being honest, right? Part of this four for 40 thing is the kids understanding what opportunity is out there. And part of the, the 40 for 40 is the parents also understanding. See, some of the value that I had is my dad was honest enough with me to say, there's things about this world I can teach you because of the way he grew up. There's some street stuff. There's some charisma stuff. There's some grit stuff. There's some toughness stuff that I can teach you that no one else in this world can teach you. So I got to teach you that, son. So we're going to work harder than everybody else. We're going to go longer than everybody else. He was also humble enough to say once I got to college, hey, there are some things about finances, economics, maybe the other side of the world, the other worldview that I can't teach you. And he told me, you're going to have to learn that from somebody else. So four for four is not just about Notre Dame providing an opportunity and kids taking that opportunity. It's also about parents sowing into their kids the things that they know they can and cannot do, depending on where you come from in life. And God bless you if you got parents that can teach you both of those finances and, and, and faith and family and all that. But if you don't, sometimes the parents got to help the kids understand there's things you're going to learn there that you're never going to learn from me because of where we grew up. You know, graduating from a school of 5,000 kids, having family in third one in Houston, there's some, there's some things that we just weren't exposed to. My dad was humble enough to help me say, learn it while you're there. They're paying your way to get an education. Learn it while you're there. So 4 for 40 is not just kids going, Notre Dame is here for me. There's all these opportunities. It's about families coming together and saying, I want better for my kid's future than, his, than what it is today. Even if you're coming from a great situation, Notre Dame can take you that much further. So it's not just about the kid that comes from nothing going to something. It's also about those kids coming from something going to something greater. So 4 for 40 is for everybody, but it does take – Notre Dame providing this opportunity. It does take a kid taking that opportunity, and it does take a parent saying, hey, this is more important than what you're feeling today. So back when we were freshmen and we're having these conversations about, you know, I feel a little homesick, or man, this is different, or I've never seen this many white people before. There's those defining moments where you can kind of come together and say, you know what, this is also a good thing. All new experiences aren't bad. All uncomfortable experiences aren't bad. The only way a muscle grows is if you stretch it, right? I'm in, I'm in our, our family office here in, in downtown Franklin, Tennessee, where we live, and, and I'm in the gym, right? Well, any, anything that's got to grow has got to be stretched and torn down a little bit. So why would our journey to success or journey to greatness be any different? See, I think sometimes we get caught up in believing that the road is easy or we're not going to have to work as hard. It's quite the opposite. So when you're a freshman, it's like you're in the gym trying to get that one more rep. When you're a sophomore and it gets hard and you miss your family, it's like trying to get two more reps, switching the exercise, a coach pushing you a little bit further. All that's super uncomfortable. We can see the benefit physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, we're going through the same thing. And if we have people, a, a network around these kids that are showing them, hey, this isn't bad. That feels uncomfortable, don't it? You don't like that. You don't like the way that felt. The way that professor looked at you is a little odd, right? You never felt that before, right? Because he's, he's challenging you on something that you've been able to kind of conquer your whole life, and now you can't. That's not a bad thing. Don't run from that. 
right? Helping these kids sit in these moments and not just run from stuff is, I think, the wave of kind of where we got to go. And Notre Dame can do that almost better than any other school because of all the resources around it. So long answer, but that kind of hits that transition period where you go from trying to figure out your future and trying to figure out how to get through Notre Dame because part of it's getting through, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the other part is using it to your advantage and letting it use you a little bit, right? There's a little give and take. So, so talk about transition between coaches yeah. because, of course, Brian Kelly goes to LSU. Marcus Freeman comes in. <clears throat> Some people would say a disappointing first year, 94, but he's building. The people forget Brian Kelly was 8-5 and five his first two years trying to build what he was building. But you went through that. You came in under Bob Davey. And then you guys had one of the strangest off seasons where you (laughs) thought you had a coach. Then you didn't have a coach. Then you end up coach Tyrone Willingham. And then he comes in and you guys go into what is one of the most memorable 2002 seasons when it comes to, man, the start of the season, I think – outperforming expectations early on because a lot yeah. of people doubted the program and, and things were being said, like, is the gold on top of the dome tarnished forever and all that type of stuff. <laughs> Talk about that transition and the importance of holding fast to the tradition of Notre Dame and what that allowed you guys to do, you know, going through that 2002 season. And you, you had some OGs in front of you because we're going to talk about linebacker play. That, sure. defensive, that defensive line that you, Courtney, and Mike Goosby played in front of, man, you had some yeah, studs starting with yeah. Justin Tuck, B.A., and some of the other guys. Yeah, for sure, man. So um, it's an interesting question to answer looking back. I probably would have said something different while I was in it. When I first was on the other side of it, I probably would have said something different. But looking back on it now, man, um, you realize one of the things that gets you through is knowing why you went there in the first place. I mean, it really is knowing why in the world did I even come here, right? I came here to do something that I never would have been able to do before. I came here because I want to be great. I came here because the program is trying to build. You know, when I was getting recruited in 96, 97, 98, you know, Lou Holtz is on the tail end of his career, about to get let go. And they were about to put in Bob Baby and his crew potentially or whatever. And at the time, Bob was seen as just a really good defensive coordinator, kind of a player coach style, but not really the, the head coach in Notre Dame wanted, but he kind of looked the part and could talk right. So I went through that transition, but stuck with the recruiting because, again, it's bigger than one person. So remembering why you go there and realize you're going to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you're going to go do something great, is what gets you in and out of those moments. But, man, during that transition – I remember having conversations where half the team is just freaking out. And this is this the point I'm about to make regarding that moment is going to be something that's super important today, right, that they get right today. So I remember guys just freaking out, being like, I don't know what I want to do. Maybe I should go to the school that was recruiting me last. And this, we didn't have a transfer portal, but the mentality was still like the same. Everybody's up in arms. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody wanted this George Leary guy. We couldn't even understand why that conversation was even happening. We weren't even asked about how that conversation was supposed to go as far as players were. That was kind of happening all above us. We were just kind of in the middle of it. So I remember doing team meetings and like shuffling the workouts that week and guys skipping them. And, and what ended up happening kind of midway through that week is some guys pulled everybody aside and said, essentially, excuse my language, what the hell is going on? Why is everybody freaking out? We do what we do. Whoever they bring in is whoever they bring in. You're still going to have the same position. When that coach left and this coach comes in, there's still going to be a defensive end. There's still going to be a quarterback. There's still going to be a wide receiver. Let's go compete 
and whatever that looks like. So we had some veterans that stepped up and was having those conversations. And I luckily, or even early in my career, me and Goolsby and some of the other guys were some of those guys that were kind of towing that line saying, hey, we know why we came here. We know why we came here. Let's wade through it and figure out what happens on the backside. So when Coach Willingham came in, what you saw is very similar to when um, Coach Freeman came in and that you had a coach now that's going to give a certain population of those players exactly what they need and a certain population population of those players not get what they need right when when Willingham came and there was a very clear divide between the players that he was going to reach no matter who he was and what he did and the players that he weren't Willingham was very Tony Dungy like you know spoke in these colloquialisms spoke in this um very fatherly type of big picture sort of perspective there are certain players that love that. They gravitate towards that. They're like, eat that up. There's other players like, dude, I don't want to hear that, man. Like, what offense are we running, bro? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really care. And so we had a divide very early on, I think similar to the Kelly transition and similar to the transition now, which is like, I'm here to play football. And one of my brothers, dude, loving to death, um, Mike, was on the upper opposite side of that. So me and Mike play exactly the same position as far as both being linebackers. We saw that coaching transition very different. Mike wanted a guy that was going to make sure we had the right X's and O's. I wanted a guy that was going to provide some leadership that we didn't have in Davey because Davey kind of just went with whatever to make people happy. He was just kind of like, oh, this sounds good. This sounds good. So that transition, a certain percentage of the players got what they needed and they dug in deep and they continued to go. A certain percentage of the population said, hey, we got to make the X's and those changes to, to help us win. I don't care how you make me feel. I want to go win games. And so I feel like that's the same thing that's going on now. Well, in that, we had some veterans that were able to kind of toe the line. We have some assistant coaches who were able to bring in that X's and O's thing that we had. And ultimately, the demise of Coach Willingham, to be honest, was simply that he, he didn't let his offensive coordinator go. We did not get the X's and O's right. We had a fantastic defense. We couldn't score to save our lives. We couldn't move the ball down the field. We couldn't run the ball. We couldn't pass the ball. That first year was electric because everyone was kind of feeling out that really, really, really high, right? And at the same time, we caught some breaks. You know, there's games where probably shouldn't have won that game, but we won that game, right? You pull out some of those wins, and then things start to go a little bit better for you. But at that time, you got to have leaders step up that bring the team through that, the transcend coaching, the transcend position coach, the transcend strength coach, and Teams that get through that, I think, are the teams that can do that. And then you get a chance to build, you know. So it was a lot of team-led leadership, more than probably the, the outside even knew. They equated 2002 to Coach Kelly. I'll tell you, Shane Walton and, and Courtney essentially drugged that defensive squad through that whole situation. Jerome Sapp, Cedric Hillier, you know, these cats are the guys that were one class above us but really helped push us when we were kind of like, you know, because we were young. I was young at the time. Goosby was young. But yeah. Those were the guys that you know, drug us through. And one of my biggest critiques over the last, you know, handful of years is, like, who's freaking leading the team? Like, where are the, where are the guys on the field, right? Because let's be honest, from a defensive standpoint, no matter what the coach calls, that doesn't – even the worst call doesn't always have to result in a touchdown. You can call a terrible play as a defense. Put your team in the worst possible situation, Right. And it doesn't mean they got to get a touchdown for it. You can outwill the bad call. You can do that. We did it tons that year. There was times where we went into the field with that new defensive coordinator from the West Coast coming from Stanford. He called some crappy defenses, but guess what? Somebody's going to step up and make a play. We're going to get an interception. We're going to pick the ball off. We're going to cause a fumble. Had nothing to do with the call. Yeah, the defensive coordinator is going to get all the credit, 
We had a terrible defense. They were we were in cover three and they ran a cover three beater. It just so happened that we outplayed them. Where I'd like to see us get as far as our current team is where are the players on the field that regardless of what calls are being made, we're going to go out perform. Malik, you know it's better than anybody, bro. A good yeah. receiver, a jump ball, a good receiver don't matter, bro. Yeah. Johnny Manziel is a quintessential. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm about to I'm about to air this thing out, and Mike Evans is about to go make that play. That is zero to do with coaching. Yeah, zero. Like zero. zero. You know what I'm saying? That's backyard ball. Yeah. You know, but we we didn't do that enough, right? And so, yeah, I was a big fan of Tommy Reese. Super predictable. We can get in all that stuff down the road. But at some point, <laughs> players got to go ball. At some point, it's man on man. I've seen interceptions from greats on cover three. Cover three beaters, don't matter, right? And I look at, and I'm old school, right? So I'm going to take it back for two seconds because this is kind of the stuff I'm talking about, and I think you guys will resonate with it. Back in the day, there was clear leadership on teams. You look at the Baltimore Ravens, the first clear game that comes alive. Clear leadership. We got it. Super clear. You just know who the dude is, and then it's everybody else. It's just like everybody else, right? But think about it. Baltimore Ravens. You haven't seen it. When you on these primetime games and they need that one guy to talk about, we don't have a guy. It's just like you you go right. We play in Clemson, they all Trevor. Trevor highlights, stiff arming dude jumping over. We got and then first first who? A lineman? You gonna throw out you gonna throw out. Mike McGlinchey on the poster? We need a poster. Love him. We don't have that guy. But think about it. You think of the Baltimore Ravens, the first name that comes to your mind is Ray Lewis. Lewis. At the end of the day, Ray is going to conjure up whatever is necessary to help that team win, right? The 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks, Derrick Brooks, Sapp, those guys come to mind. They're driving that team. It's It's easily to identify. Patriots, Tom Brady, right? The great teams have these players that you know you can put that team on their back or they're going to put that team on their back in this work time, right? And those are the things that we used to have. The Notre Dame great years, we had it. Shane Walton was our guy. Him and Jerome Sapp, dude, forget about it. Shane was a, was a soccer player, bro, but he had that thing to where when it was all, when push was going to come to shove, his little squirrel little behind was going to make a play. Intercept the ball, the game's over. You know what I mean? Manti, during his year, Manti was that guy on defense. You knew you could count on him to make some plays. Do that like, I forget, over 100 tackles a year or something crazy like that, right? He, he just knew he was going to make the plays. Whether he was technically sound or not, he was just going to make the play, right? And so you can take any era of great sports. Every team's got to have that guy. And for years, we have not had that guy. That's true. Basketball. Football, those two sports particularly. Basketball, too. That's why if you got one guy, bro, the Cavs and LeBron, (laughs) D-Wade, there's some guys that just transcend the future. But My thing is, where where are those cats that you know you can count on? I thought Autry was going to be that guy. We didn't help him a lot scheme-wise, but, man, we got to have that guy. He's running back in in, in Notre Dame history without the scheme. You know, without it. Hey, oh, dude, I, don't even get me started. <laughs> hell of a lot. Yeah. That is a hell of a lot. 
Lucky yeah. Lefty yeah. Podcast, Derek Curry, former Notre Dame linebacker, former Notre Dame captain right here with us. The Anora Boys are in the building. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CFB Nation, audio edibles each and every day. Go check it out. It's the Lucky Lefty Podcast. You already know. We spend it different. I'm fired up. Man, y'all got, y'all got me fired up. Y'all got me fired up because this is what we've been talking about. It's like, man, you hear excuses. And like you said, that 2002 season, you can go to the, the Michigan State game. No you, should, you had no reason winning that game. No. Zero, bro. No. Zero. You go down, you 7 and 0, you go down to Florida State, Chris Rich and everybody, Anquan Bolden. You have no business winning that game. No, zero. Why, the, why, why even have a shot? Right. But the leadership. The leadership, Florida State, the first three drives are inside the 20-yard line, nothing. Zero. Nothing. That's guys deciding to stand up, right? It's like, okay, y'all there, we're here. Stand up. Right. You know? And that, and that's what I mean. Like, that kind of stuff is it's stuff you write about, but it's also stuff that starts well before you ever hit that point. If you go onto the field believing you don't have it or the team don't have it or the scheme ain't right or whatever, you start reading headlines, you're never going to have it. Right. Now it doesn't matter, right? But you got to be able to stand up and say, at the end of the day, we're gonna go fight. We're gonna create whatever we need. What y'all probably don't know is a couple of them drives. Me and Courtney made the calls from the field because they didn't get the calls in. On the, I'm talking about in the red zone. The calls are not getting in. What do you do? Somebody's got to make calls. So we're making we're making base calls. We're making calls that, that make sense for that time period, right? For that day, for that down distance, based on the tendencies, et cetera. But again, you look at it and go, man, like I was it's like, dude, we didn't get help. Yeah. The guys that are on the field will tell you there was times that year in that specific run, we weren't getting the help from the sideline. But at the end of the day, you got guys on the field that know enough about what to do to go try to stand up and make it happen, right? So you can blame scheme, guys gotta go play. Let's talk what about was, it. What was your, what ahead, was your scheme that you really enjoyed that you feel like maybe the offense could use a similar scheme? Because I agree with you. I think we mm. definitely didn't scheme as well as we recruit. You would think we recruited like a like a junior college team where we only got two good players. We have a team yep. full of players where we do not scheme for all of them. So maybe yep. what do you think? Because, I mean, you know, yeah. you're the defense, just like yep. so you know all the parts that have to make things go. But for yeah. you, your defense is probably a little different, but what do you think? Yeah, so for, for me, the most scariest, scary offenses for us to play were multi-weapon offenses on your edge. Man, if you got guys on your edge that can create a problem, that puts so much stress on the linebackers and the safeties, like so much stress. Because for us, it's a mixture of scheme and depth, right? So, like, teams like USC were tough because Norm Chow's offensive scheme back in the day when he had Carson Palmer, um, he was able to spread us out so far that took away our strength. Our strength was staying in tight. Eight and a half. Guys in the, in the box. box. Right? Six yeah, in the we, box. We, play exactly, that right? Defender in and out, yeah. You got it, man. But what they did was they said, no, nah, we're going to make y'all play dime. We're going to make y'all run around the whole first half and y'all going to feel good and we're going to blow y'all out the second half. And it worked every time because we had no depth. So, yeah. we – we didn't have the two to three man rotation where guys could come in and, and help us out in the second half. So we were dog tired going into the middle of the third quarter every game. And we played more snaps. So, you know, my cousin played at the, at the U during the early 2000s. They were winning those championships. And he averaged, as a starting defensive end, he averaged 63 to 62 snaps a game. Mm-hmm. Me and Goolsby averaged 84, 85 snaps a game. 
Bro, I'm putting 20 more snaps a game on my body, even going into the league, right? So you're talking you don't have legs. You don't have legs for that. You have nothing. And you're playing them at the end of the year. So you're already beat up all year because we used to play a top three schedule, top four. We still do kind of, but we, we used to play some dogs back in the day. Um, those, those teams, the schedule was rough. But going into later half of the season, when you're playing the Stanford's and the USC's, those games are harder than they need to be because they're both spreading you really far. They're, they're, it's man-on-man, essentially. And you got – look, man, call a spade a spade. Being a linebacker trying to guard Reggie Bush out the backfield <laughs> – it's next to impossible when you fresh. That's tough for anybody. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Not to mention, not to mention, you already got wear and tear on your body that he doesn't have. So not only is he just naturally just way more gifted than you, right? God bless that kid in a way like you wouldn't even believe. But then when you got to match up against him, it's a, it reminded me of like, you know something is coming, but you still can't stop it. And that scheme particularly that spread scheme when they originally started that three wide, four wide, taking that back and moving them out, that original scheme, we didn't have the defensive scheme or what I would call personnel to match up. You know what I mean? When you put put some dogs on the edges that you know are first rounders, okay, you got that battle. Then you're going to try to play zone to cover. They're going to eat you up behind the linebackers in front. And then you got a running back that can come out the field that pulls you towards the line of scrimmage. You got ten, you got a 7 to 12 to 15-yard window that's going to be wide open just wow. because of the scheme. It ain't got nothing to do with athleticism. It's got to do with scheme. Courtney Watson ran a 4-3. But when you take Courtney and make his responsibility, you know, 15 yards deep, and that guy back there named Reggie Bush that can just come out the backfield at any point, even he's going to struggle. You know what I'm saying? So it's that scheme that spreads you out and the depth to do it later in the game. So we can we can hang with anybody, you know, even even in our best years and even our worst years. We can hang with anybody the first half to the third quarter. But because we didn't have that second, third, and fourth guy to rotate offense, defense, we stopped putting pressure on the quarterback. Quarterback settles in. Now the scheme opens up even more. And no matter what coverages you play, there's gaps in every one. So if you got bad play calling, Dude, that, happened, all day. that happened to us last year. You the reason Absolutely. why we're in the games with Cal and Purdue I'm is that up. in the game, you're like, come on, JD, get there. He's making there. tired plays, tired penalties, tired, Bro, you just know, sloppy, sloppy. 80 snaps, 90 snaps a game. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> that last where you feel like, okay, this is the closeout drive, we're about to go yeah. home. It seems yep. like it's so tough because dudes are really tired. You're on play. Guys are so play 85 and offense got 13 points on the day. You like, oh my yes, god, oh yeah. I got a whole it's, so, it's, it's so different. And we came and we came from the no plays off era too. So we used to get what's called lopes, right? So back in the day, <laughs> this is how crazy this was, man. Just looking at load management now, stuff like it would have been a completely different game. But we had things called lopes, meaning they would go watch game film for every lope you had, you had to run. <laughs> So what I mean by that is if you backside of the play, yeah, yeah, you backside the corner or something. You, I, I was an outside linebacker for first and second down. Typically, then I moved to nickel and I play one of the mics for nickel, the nickel, and then I moved to Mike for dime, and we'd rotate out. But if I'm on the backside of play on the edge, and that play is all the way on the other side of the field, if somebody passes you up, offense, defense, doesn't matter. That's a low. So guys are in the game worried about how many sprints they're gonna have to do the next day. Right. So you run in every play. My point is you get in this motor, you run in every play, but you're also killing yourself versus maybe taking that play and off and being fresh. For yeah, the third like, yeah. Sometimes the play be too far. It's a little jog Bro. is okay. They want to sprint. <laughs> hey, stand there. 
Just, just today, I just stand there, just know what it, just know what it was saying. They're like, spread. <laughs> You're like, dude, I'm dead. And then by the time third, fourth quarter comes, it's like dig deep. It's like no, I was digging deep in the second quarter when I was trying to chase down that ball in case it came outside, out. Outside, outside runs and stuff. I'm, I'm digging deep for no reason. Hey, so yeah, there's things like that that just I think we just got wrong in terms of perspective on playing the game. I say got wrong. That was the way we did it back then. But I think it hurt us big time because of how 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 poor our offense was. We could not score, bro. If defense didn't score every game, there was a time you know in the the O three year where we just weren't gonna win. He's like, you forget about it. We would do three and outs faster. I mean, I felt like I would sit down. And you were like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. About how, how important complimentary football is to showing how good of a team you actually have. Because there's a lot of time, like you said, yeah. no matter how good of a player you are, if you're on defense, if you got 90 snaps, it's impossible. You just won't look good. But that doesn't mean you don't have first rounders. Doesn't mean you don't have a good defense. But yep. about just how important complementary offense and defense are. It's huge, man. It's huge from a team. I'll start from this team psyche first. Like, we would go into games, and me, <laughs> Goolsby, Courtney, Shane, uh, Cedric Killier, Daryl uh, Campbell. Uh, Tuck was a pup at that point, so he wasn't really in those conversations at the time, and he came into them very quick. But the conversations were, guys, if we don't, if we don't score, we don't win. Yeah. If we don't get, if we don't get three takeaways, we don't win. And they were, and it was these conversations like we got to go create turnovers because we know for a fact our offense won't score. So what it did was pregame even create an animosity. Yeah, so since they ain't go, and I love them, but they ain't gonna do nothing. So if we don't do it, we don't win. So you're trying to win the game from defense, and so it creates animosity within the team, and then that's where you end up with. Do your freaking job walking by the offensive line. Do your job, man. Block somebody, you know, running back, run the ball kind of stuff. And so that's the first part of it. But secondly, you know, I remember, you know, going into pro days and going into my senior year, when they started talking about game film, I'm like, bro, if you show me in third, fourth quarter, I look like I shouldn't even be out here. Now I'm making plays and all that, but I look slower. I look, I look way more broken down, you know compared to first and second quarter. Late in the season, game film was different. So having a Getting to the next level, is, to your point, having a complimentary game, even if we had dropped our snaps by 10 or 11 per game, we're not, we're not even in the same category of fatigue in the third and fourth quarter. Now you drop it down 20 snaps, even if that's a rotation, right? Even if the defense is playing 80 snaps, if you can rotate yourself out to get to where the elites, Jonathan Vilma, DJ Williams, guys that I compete against on the high school level, them cats are running 56 snaps a game. Yeah, they look like speed demons. They look super strong. And they were. But the reality is they added a game in the third quarter. Like I was in high school. I didn't play the second half a lot in high school because we were blowing yeah, people out. Team team out. Team your job. <laughs> so that's what they were doing, right? So they could rotate out. And so it's like, yeah, my game film against theirs going into the draft is going to look completely different, bro. Like completely different. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. 